for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Wasn't long ago we were talking about elk hunting with a group. This time, it's all about those solo hunters. Our next series covers solo hunting, as well as those of you that may be hunting with others in camp that want to hunt alone. Or you may even be with a partner that doesn't call. And now it's up to you to use those solo techniques when your opportunity knocks. On today's show, it's part of our solo archery series that we'll cover. The different solo scenarios, totally solo, hunting alone in a group, using solo techniques with a partner, and we'll talk about reasons for each as well as solo success versus group success and more. Those topics along with our Elk Bro shoutouts and today's EBD segment. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkGrows.com, with your host Gilbert Ornelas and elk hunting coach Joe Gilly. You want to hunt elk? And they live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And for those blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of your show, coming to you from a, a secret location at Toledo Bend, Louisiana. Uh, <laughs> and always in the house, your elk hunting coach from New Mexico, Mr. Joe Gillia. Evening there, Mr. Ornelas. How are What's you, buddy? Happening, brother Joe? How you doing, man? <laughs> hey, uh, Gilbert, letters, uh, yes, reviews, sir. so many cool things happening that the first thing that I want coming out of my mouth is a thank you to our listeners, those people that have been putting those incredible reviews out there. Uh, we're going to mention some names here in a few minutes. And, and the letters that come in is, are just so cool. Uh, we're getting questions. Now, this time we're going to be doing our EBD series. Next week we'll be answering some questions again. But, man, if those questions keep rolling in like this, I'm going to have to we're going to have to find a way to knock them out every time we do this, you know. And, yeah, no uh, doubt. I know our listeners are going to be wondering, hey, where's the other guy? Where's that Venezuelan mafia, <laughs> the kitty cult leader, Luis <laughs> Gonzalez? Well, I got everybody's attention. He's in Colombia with his family enjoying some spring break. So we wish you all the best, brother. Yeah, he's yeah he's down in South America just enjoying family, man. So that's safe cool. travels and make sure you wash your hands. Baby. <laughs> oh, we even got it on 
we even got it on blue collar elk hunting, man. That's yes, sir. It's all yeah. about safety, Joe. It's about all my about industry safety. and everything. It's all about oh, safety. Y'all wash and, your hands. People. And on this one, man, I'm I'm wearing. I'm representing our look at that. Brand tonight, He's got man. the brand, boy. He's got, got the, the brand. Camo man. hat and yep. the black shirt on. Yeah. Or they call it charcoal, I believe. That 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 be that charcoal, man. Yeah. So I've got that. And uh, and Luis is on the back, so we're going to make sure we don't show the back of him. His head. Man, just I'm telling you, bigger. dude, the guy's head is going to be that big. <laughs> I, I think I think he had the first order, and it was like three hundred eighty five dollars worth of nothing but his shirts, right? <laughs> he, so he could send them all to his buddies back at, back home and stuff like that, man. It's like He's when the, you get that article in the newspaper, you know, you go yeah, buy them out. <laughs> hey, look, first article I ever wrote. No, no lie, I wrote one for uh the texas trophy hunters on those uh -huh. cats on those on those cougars we killed right and i'm telling you i bought 30 issues thing, <laughs> you know when it came out Heck and yeah, what man. was cool what was cool is they actually sent me a a uh a, a copy of the issue ingrained in wood man oh and that's awesome it's a, it's a really nice plaque where the issues on it in lacquer finished with you know on, on a big plaque of wood and it's really neat i actually gave it to my outfitter and uh bubba finstad uh with west texas whitetails and he has it hanging in his lodge yeah i you know cool. if i did something like that gilbert i'd have to like get copies and send them to like my high school english teacher with a note you know <laughs> like, yeah buddy. yeah you know, how's that grammar now you know yeah so. <laughs> for sure one thing i did want to say before we uh move on here though is in one of the letters that i got and i want to make sure i, I want to clear this up real quick because in one of the letters i got incredible guy um in, in saskatchewan one of our listeners and and uh in his letter, it was almost like there was an apology because the guy was considered a white collar guy. And, <laughs> and, you know, it was almost like, you know, uh, well, I, I have the blue collar attitude and I might be white. Look, I want to tell all y'all out there. I hope that you understand that, um, that whole thing about blue collar elk hunting is to, it's about an attitude. It's a, it's about a realization. It's about a perspective and all of us in our life have had to make decisions and all of us have had to do the grind and all of us have had to work hard at it. And that's the attitude that we're looking for for you guys when you're out there in the woods, when you're chasing elk, when you're with your partners, when you're with your buddies. It's, it's, we want you to understand that perspective. And at the same time, part of it is, yes, uh, yeah. we are sending a message that, and, and I hope people have heard this multiple times from me is I have nothing against gear, but gear should never keep anybody or the lack of having it or the ability not to be purchasing expensive gear should never keep anybody out of the elk woods. And that's the message that we try to send because, you know, Gilbert, you and I have two different incomes, me, you, Luis, <laughs> we Shit. all have different incomes, man. And, yes. But that does not change how we relate, who we are, our friendships, mm -hmm. and it brings us. Mm -hmm incredible balance to what we're doing right now because we get absolutely. a lot of different perspectives absolutely and and to, for the record okay guys i am a blue collar guy but my business is a white collar guy 
right? At the end of the day, I'm in every office from an executive vice president to a president of an oil company. And we're talking every day in a, you know, a white collar shirt. So, uh, I transitioned from out of the field. I came from the bottom. I mean, look, when I started in my oil field career, I came from the bottom. I'm talking painting, you know, painting the floors, sweeping the floors, painting bit breakers and, and tubing jet nozzles for drill bits all the way up to where, you know, today, you know, a put 20 plus years in. Man. Yeah. Put 20 plus years in as a blue collar guy. And, you know, probably the last 12 years I've been a white collar guy, you know, right. but I never forget where I've come from. And Absolutely. Uh, at, at the end of the day, we're all in this together. We all in this life together. So blue collar, white collar, I don't give a dang what collar at the end of the day, when you look at my collar, it's dark cause it's dirty, <laughs> it's you know, dirty. and that's just the kind of, <laughs> that's just the kind of guy I am. Yeah. So, and I don't want um, none of you. I, I don't want any of you guys out there ever apologizing for the decisions right. and the things that you've done to make your life, your family's life better. Uh, yeah. that's not what it's about. But I tell you what, when we're out there in the elk woods, we all look the same. We wear that same Heck color yeah. collar and we just get after it and we grind it, man. So, Heck yeah. uh, you are our grinders and, and thank you for being there with us. All right. Yes, sir. Well, Joe, you know oh. what time it is. Shout it's time for our elk bro shout outs. Out. Shout if you're new out. to the show, these are just shout outs to a few cities with the most listeners Topping our charts this week. That's right. We're going to start with our reviews, man. We're going to talk to those guys. We're going to throw those names out. I couldn't believe how many I got to say here. Brenton Arnold, thank you very much for your incredible review. Matt Bauer, who I also just sent a hat off to today from Charleston, Illinois. Matt, you're the man. I love this one, man, because this even gets a little bit of advertisement in here. Bully Bull Plumbing, man. Bully Bull Plumbing with the with a like review it. for us out there and guys, and, uh, guys y'all y'all make sure y'all tell us where you're from so please. we can give you a shout out there too please we'd like to give you guys this town and uh excuse my voice a little bit tonight i think i got a little something going on uh fighting through these allergies and everything uh and this next guy mike wilson from ogden utah mike is my age uh and mike just left an incredible review with all kinds of kind words thoughts and prayers just a super individual mike thank you so much uh you know um this next name uh if if i was in the south uh, the guy would have been Mater, you know, out there. Right, Mater, absolutely. Mater. Uh, but it's probably Mater uh, Do Wild. And I want to thank Mater. I hope I'm saying it right. But if I don't, you know where to find me. Uh, Joe at elkbros.com. Correct it, and I'll get it fixed next time because I want to make yeah, sure. Yeah, get at me, us, brother. Yeah, give me your town, man, and we'll put it in there. Justin, I don't have your last name, but Justin's out of Northeast Oklahoma with a terrific review. Thank you, bud. Okay, so those are our guys with the reviews that have been coming in. Um, Fantastic. And so now we're going to go to up first, our first and top listening city this year. It's no wonder that our first city is known as a prime place to breed thoroughbred horses. The high calcium content in the inner soils of this bluegrass region where the city is located leads to stronger bones and greater durability in horses. I never knew this, Gilbert. I it's need- the horse capital of the world where the barns bud look like estates and billionaires convene for the world's largest horse sale. A huge elk right. shout out to none other than Lexington, Kentucky. Yeah. That's awesome. Kentucky shows up in the house. Yes, sir. 
Big the bluegrass time. state. That's cool. I did not know about the high calcium content in the crazy? bluegrass. Uh, that's so cool. That's awesome. Yeah. No doubt. Well, next up, Joe, the home of Wilbert Lee Gore, the creator of Gore-Tex. Thank God for him. Our <laughs> next city is only about 11 miles from Boise. It's just a few minutes from everything the state capital city offers, including all the sports, shopping, dining, and entertainment you could ever hope to find. And you can bet that people here are huge Boise State Bronco fans yep. in Meridian, Idaho. Meridian, Idaho. Yeah, you Merid want to say Ohio when you do uh, yeah, that. You yeah, you do. <laughs> it, it took me right there, Joe. Meridian, it just has a flow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Meridian, Idaho. Yeah, right there by Boise, bud. And a that's, great the that's the wildest field, football field I've ever seen. It's blue. I, I still say, man, the greatest game I ever saw involved Boise State and Oklahoma. No and doubt. It was a heck of a it game. Was, yeah, it was a one, Liberty. Yes, sir. And I have a, and a shout out to Parma, Idaho, who's just, that's just a little ways from there. Good buddy of mine that I went to college with from Parma took me there to go do some pheasant hunting there in Idaho. Had a blast back in. Awesome. It was fun. Next up, this area was home to immense herds of bison and the native peoples that hunted them. But it, uh, it was modern advances in irrigation that first created the industry that defined this area. Sugar beets, often called white gold, was a cash crop that brought thousands of immigrants whose influence is still evident today in Windsor, Colorado. Windsor, Colorado. Yep. Shout Lots out to of Windsor. No doubt. Next up, Joe, a bedroom community boasting a reasonable 45-minute commute to Boston. Only half an hour, someplace you know, Josh, uh, <laughs> Joe, for sure. Only yeah. half an hour from New Hampshire's seacoast in, in beaches and an hour from the region's glorious lakes and mountains. But if you're a thrill seeker, you can go to the city's indoor surfing facility and for an introduction to surfing or train on waves up to six feet high and 32 feet long in Nasha, New Hampshire. And, and I, I, I'm and not Nashua? sure if it's Nasha, Nashua. I, I, Nashua. I would say Nashua, New Hampshire. Prob but probably is Nashua, yeah. New Hampshire. Guys, it won't be the first time, won't be the last time we butcher it, but we're working <laughs> at it. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I am uh, an ex-surfer, bud, and I could not believe that in Nashua, New Hampshire, you, you could go in and surf a six-foot wave, 32-foot long, because we're heading to Boston, and this is just a stone's throw away. And uh, you got to go do that, Joe. I, uh, you know, I'm going to go hurt myself. That's what I'm going to do, man. Got to get online, see what <laughs> see what the real deal is, and I, I'd have to go try that. I've never surfed, but I'd go try that. Oh, it's and this facility also has one of those skydiving rooms. Oh, where wow! You can, yeah. It, what cool. a facility. Just incredible, man. Nashua, a big nod to you. Thank Gilbert, you. last but not least, our next city is famous for being the birthplace of Merle Haggard and for wow. the massive oil patch that drew the Dust Bowl migrants west. And if you like intrigue, some people say this city was also home to a hidden factory where the CIA built its U-2 spy planes before secretly smuggling them, smuggling them to Area 51. <laughs> oh man intrigue man 
<laughs> yeah, no doubt. I don't know how you do that in Oildale, California. Oildale. The West Coast in the house representing. Look out. Cali in the house. That's Sir. awesome, man. Yeah. They got some big old they got some big old elk up, elk up there in Northern California, man. Yeah, I I haven't uh I haven't been too much and and studied too much up on that area there, but I have seen stuff on those animals. There there's a lot of things happening in in California with with cats and and uh and their regulations and stuff like that and uh it's going to be there there's a lot of things happening in the United States that all of us need to really pay attention to. So, I tell you what, as a hunting group, all of us need to really keep our radar up and uh, help out our neighboring states and and help each other out uh, as as a community as well no doubt i mean there's if you take a look at all the states that got elk hunting populations in them every one of them have got some kind of crisis they're going through with their well, fishing game or whatever wolves i mean bears yeah. i mean you, you name it, it well, and it's all about conserving the elk herd right i mean uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation does a fantastic job of working with different entities to try and and, and really promote the uh, the proliferation of elk. Right. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. And I think now uh, it's our job as a community to ensure that we are creating young hunters that are going to be around to utilize that conservation. So that's Absolutely. that's a huge thing. Yeah. No doubt. Well, Joe, two weeks ago, yeah. we talked about hunting elk in groups. Absolutely. But there's yeah. going to be a whole lot of elk hunters out there, like you and I used to be, that are solo hunters this year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether they've been able to connect with a hunting buddy or, you know, their schedules just don't work out or, you know, they just love the idea of the simplicity and solitude of, of hunting solo. Yeah, yeah, and Gilbert, and just like you said in the opening too, man, uh, for some of the discussion, we're also going to include those hunters that are with a group, but basically they go out and hunt on their own. So you can be a solo hunter where you're, you're I mean, from point A to point B, you're by yourself. I mean, absolutely alone, absolutely solo. But there's a lot of people that go out with groups and then they hunt alone as well. And there's also those people that are always with somebody but they might be the only caller or the strongest caller or the person that you know if they're going to bring one in for themselves they've got to be able to use those solo tactics to be for them to be successful as well so there's a lot of ways in that solo hunting um comes into play here well, Joe, I know you've used all three, mm -hmm. so let's talk about your experiences and some of the reasons a person might use one or the other. Okay, um, you bet, Gilbert, but I, I want to start out, bud, with an important point, and that is that the solo skill sets are the basis for all future successes. I mean, even even those guys, like I started out, that, that was my thing, right? Uh, I started out as a solo hunter, and uh, and that evolved into being, you know, I had Chab that joined me there, but I still had to use those solo skill sets, uh, because Chab just didn't, he didn't talk elk and, and I kind of was his mentor with that. So if I was going to get a shot on an animal, even though I had somebody with me, I was basically going to have to use that or we were hunting separately, man. Uh, we would go in together and we would hunt separately on some days and some days together. So, 
I think it's important to note that those solo skill sets, it's those elk hunting groups that have those kinds of hunters with those best solo skill sets that are going to be the most successful. So uh, when we were talking about groups before, I, I, I made a comment that that group is only as strong as its weakest link. And so that's what you got to think about is this too, that if everybody in that group has those strong solo skill sets, and you think about what that's going to consist of, about how you move through the woods, how you move on animals, how you talk, your hunting strategies. If you have that down as an individual, imagine what you bring to the group, man. Okay. Yeah. But going back to your question, man, Okay, so let's let's cover the first one. Truly solo, and, and I'm talking about my experiences. Um, that's that, to, totally alone. And I remember, Gilbert, my first time out solo was a 10-day hunt. And I can tell you something, man. When you hunt by yourself with nobody else for 10 days, you find out a whole lot about yourself. For sure. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, man. I mean, think about it. I mean, no other voices for 10 days. And and I can tell you, you know, there's times when I, I, I know there's some people that talk to themselves. <laughs> and, right. and I can kind of figure why now after being on a solo hunt like that. I can remember having conversations in my mind, but never saying a word for 10 days. And then when I got back in with uh, humanity, the first time I heard people talk, it was weird. I got to tell you, it, it was, mm-hmm. it was different, but that hunt was probably because uh, it's one of my first elk hunts. Some of my fondest memories, man, because I can remember just moving everywhere. You're by yourself. It's all about, you're making, like we said, there's an easy to this because all the decisions are yours. All mm-hmm. the success is yours. All the failures are yours. And, I can remember one morning, Gilbert, hearing this group of bulls going off in this park and and getting down to it, and it was like a symphony. There must have been six bulls all around this giant park, and I kid you not, but I sat down by a tree and just sat there and listened. I forgot that I was even hunting. That's how incredible mm-hmm. the experience was. You know, I've been there. <laughs> Isn't that something? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean... I've been there uh, in some occasions where I didn't have anybody with me, and uh, it is crazy. You know, I've hunted mostly with me, but I have had a few occasions where I've been by myself, and just some wild things have happened to me. But look, I'm going to tell you, if you hang around me long enough, wild things are going to happen to you. (laughs) As a sense of humor when you hunt with me. Uh, You know, all my life I've hunted, you know, by myself or with mm-hmm. my grandfather or right. uh, with some friends and stuff like that. I get more enjoyment nowadays uh, hunting with my son. I used to be a solo deer hunter, right? I love right. bow hunt and stuff like that. Now I'm looking for a way to get my son in the stand with me, right? It, we have double ladders where you can set together and, and stuff like that. So you can use he's got better ears and eyes than I do, Joe. So he's an <laughs> attribute to have with me. But as far as solo hunting, I enjoy the time I get to hunt by myself because you, like you said, 100% find out a whole lot about yourself and man, you have some good conversations with yourself about your life, right. And just right. about becoming one with nature. I'm a spiritual guy. People know that 
uh, do a lot of praying and stuff like that when I'm in the woods. And man, I can, I can be a little disconnected from that at times, the way my life goes, uh, and the hustle and bustle. And it really helps me get back to what we call center, you know? Um, so that's one of the reasons I really love hunting solo. Yeah, you said the word reasons. Let's, let's talk about some of the reasons why, and, and for each of these that we're going to do, we're going to talk about the reasons and, and, and the reasons that a lot of guys end up hunting solo, it, it could be, uh, a bunch of things. Uh, it could be that they haven't been able to connect with a hunting buddy. Yeah. You know, I, I have guys writing letters into us all the time. They say, you know, I want to go out and I'm, I'm trying to find a group, man. I'd like, can, can you guys help me to find somebody that, uh, that I can hunt with? And so a lot of times, man, you're just out there doing your thing and learning this, this part of it until you do find that hunting buddy. And I'll tell a lot of you guys that are listening out there, uh, if you just go out on a solo hunt and you get in public land, a lot of times you're going to come across people that you're going to have conversations with and you're going to meet people. And when you do that, one of my best friends that continue to do things with me in life is somebody that I met out in the woods. We ended up sharing some lunch out there and the rest of it was history from that point, man. So, uh, you know, those people that aren't able to connect, Go out and do it, and eventually that'll come to you. Trust me, it has a way of working itself out. Uh, another reason would be is that uh, this happens a ton. You have hunting buddies, man, and you just can't get schedules to work out because life gets in the way. Vacations yeah. can't get off. You know, you got birthdays that happen, anniversaries coming up, a lot of those things, you know, or, or you have something changing in the job. And yep. I heard a lot about that now where there's guys that were in a group, but there's life changes going on so it affects that hunt for that year okay sure does or you could be that jeremiah johnson type there gilbert you know you just love the idea of the simplicity the solitude of hunting and being alone and and there that i totally get that i've been there yeah. like you said we understand that right the heck yeah and uh, uh i'd say another reason and I think I could have even been part of this as well, is that you just don't, sometimes you just don't tr trust others not to screw up your hunt. You're just one yeah. of those real ultra competitive guys with the capital C, man, that you, know, you want to be out there and you want to get it done. And, and you just, um, I, like I said, I, it's kind of a selfishness in a sense. This is mm -hmm. my thing. I'm going to do it. I'm just going to depend on me. It's going to be. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. If nope. that's what you want to do, you know, that's a profile. Um, for sure. It is a profile and that's what we're here to talk about tonight is guys that are going to do it solo. Right. Now the other type of solo hunter is like we mentioned, that second group is those people that are solo with a partner or a group. In other words, uh, they, they like to hunt by themselves, but maybe they want a safety net or they enjoy the camp camaraderie, man. Uh, getting back to camp and having those laughs and being around the guys and sharing experiences at that point, but they want to still do that solo thing. All good. You know, yeah. uh, uh, we have a, there's a lot of people that do that and there's benefits in that because let's say you have a group of five guys, man, and you can all go out solo. Now you're hitting different areas. You're covering more ground. In fact, Chav and I always, and earlier, when we had some guys in camp, we would do what we call a first day scatter. So I'm going to take an area. I'm going this way. You're going that way. You're going this way, that way. And by that evening, when we got back, uh, 
we were able to talk about what we found. It was a, a form of scouting. We got to see different things, right? So, and yeah. so we're covering more ground. Um, other reasons that you might want to be solo in a group is that there's less chance of blowing a situation, like what we talked about with that guy in the first group. Uh, yeah. There's also opportunity to change it up. You might want to, and me and Chav did this all the time. We would hunt solo at one part of the day. Another part, we would team up to hunt. And so you have those types of options. And generally, those guys that uh, that do this type of thing are really comfortable in the woods. And when I was younger, Gilbert, me and Chav hunted, we kind of had this ongoing thing that if I did not show up that night after the first day of hunt, not to worry. You didn't worry until I didn't show up by lunchtime the next day. Yeah. And uh, it was a different time back then. We were young. I didn't have any fear in the woods. It probably wasn't the smartest thing to do, mm -hmm. you know. But if I was out in the woods solo hunting and I was within a group, the group had to understand that I might end up sleeping out in the woods, mm -hmm. you know. So did a lot of extreme things back then and uh have done some of that in a little different way these days you yes. know um and then that last group are those people that are with a partner that has to use solo techniques and some of the reasons for that is maybe you're the only caller you have the strongest skill set um maybe you're using a, a two shooter situation and, and this was me and chav i i would be able to set up call on the animal set him off to my downwind side if that bull ended up coming straight in i was going to have the shot if that bull ended up circling around chav was going to have the shot right yeah and so that that was a, a way that we worked it out um i can tell you another reason though that we use solo techniques with a partner or those people. And you mentioned it with your son is yep. that sometimes your partner can make up for your weaknesses your weak areas, your, your senses or your area knowledge, you know, mm -hmm. they might not be the strong caller, but uh, you were just talking about how uh, Logan has better eyes and better ears than you. You bet. You bet. Yeah. He I, hear things coming that I, I'm like, man, are you serious? He goes, Oh, I can hear it. And, and then all of a sudden I can hear it, you know, but yep. he heard it a lot sooner than I did. Yeah. And it's well, just me, me being my age and him being, you know, and not having all the rock music and many gun blasts and living on a drilling rig and stuff like that. I mean, it, it is what it is. You know, your hearing takes a beating after so Well, Chad and I did a lot more solo hunting before my hearing started to go down. And then yeah. after that, man, you know, we made up for each other's weaknesses. I had the call and strengths. He had the good ears, man. He oh, could bird yeah. dog for me, right? Mm -hmm. So that's another reason that sometimes you can use those solo techniques with a partner. Um, another reason that's good to use solo techniques with a partner and have somebody with you is, man, you're going to need help if you're successful. <laughs> Heck yeah. Ooh. <laughs> man, can't wait to see somebody roll up on you when, you, when, you, when the work starts. That's for right. sure. Right. And I know people are thinking they're going, well, that's not solo if you have a partner with you. No, it's not. It's not solo in you being alone, but the techniques that you use to be same. able to get that animal so that if you have a partner, I, I have always called in elk for myself. Yeah. Nobody, I think the first time anybody even contributed to an elk hunt calling wise was this last season when you helped out 
when I was on on the bull this on the year. Camera. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's the first time. Otherwise, I mean, out of the so that was elk number thirty four. Out of the thirty three elk before there, I called every one of those in using solo techniques. Okay. So yeah. that that's why I, I'm I'm trying to include this in there. You you've got you've got that person all by themselves. You got that person in a group, but it's going to go by themselves. And then you have that guy that's got to use them when he's with somebody, because that's how you're going to be able to get an animal yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other thing that's great about having a partner when you're out there is, is it lowers that fear factor. You know, when you're out there at night with somebody else, when you're out there, it's not so bad in the morning because you know, it's going to get daylight. So yeah. when you're out there two hours early, but when you're out there in the dark at night, uh, you know, my dad had, I was real lucky. My stepdad had put it in my head when I was a youngster that the only difference between the daylight and the dark was the color, that everything else was the same. There was nothing to fear, you know? Yeah. And yeah, my grandpa would say it all the time. There's nothing in the dark that can't hurt you in the light. It's right. the same thing. Right. Or vice versa, you know. But there's a lot of people that want to head back to camp to make to get around that <laughs> comfort of that campfire and to get around those yeah. lights and 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 uh, and feel comfortable there. Yeah. So Well and know, I think back in the day too it was before it was before we had uh you know it was before we had our GPSs right. and stuff like that that could really help us with not getting lost, things mm -hmm. of that nature, you know. Yeah. So absolutely. I think that's that's another thing that's helped with the fear factor is, uh, you know, even, even when you're hunting solo, you don't have to have that fear factor of getting lost anymore, you know, right. or, or staying too long where it gets dark. Uh, at least you're able to find your way back to your mode of transportation or camp or whatever it may be. Right. Right. No, totally get that, man. And I, all I tell people is, man, you always work your woodsmanship because, you yeah. never know what can happen out there as well. And to have that backup of, again, backups to your backup. Always yeah. understand where your failure points could be. And your phone, your GPS could be a failure point. So make sure, sure you have a compass and make sure you understand woodsmanship as well out yep. there. Yeah. You know, Joe, comparing solo versus mm -hmm. team setups. Right. Who do you think has a better chance for success? <laughs> oh, I know that's a loaded question. But. Yeah, yeah, it is. But because there's so many variables, I mean, it depends on the senses, experience, knowledge, the, the skill sets of, of each of those. Uh, because uh, I've been very successful as a solo uh, hunter and or using solo techniques out there. But I tell you what, you get some guys together with some solid skill sets and a team setup is deadly, man, because there's so much more that you can do if everybody brings something to the table and they understand yeah. what to do on that. Well, I, I just tell you, there's not a day that I could step in the woods with you where I didn't feel like we were going to be dominating, right? Like we're going to kill something. Right. If they, if we hear them, it's on. And right. they're in a lot of trouble, you know, uh, with our woodsmanships together, being able to call together, being able to feed off one, understanding the wind, understanding all of those things. And we've hunted together for now going on 10 years. So that's right. a powerful dynamic. I kind of know what you're going to do when you're going to do it. 
uh, all of those things. So I, I feel the power in the teamwork, no doubt. Uh, sure. But I'm a team guy. You're a coach. You know, we've been team guys for a long time. Uh, but all of the stuff we use during, in our team came from the solo techniques that you taught us. Right. I mean, calling skills, bud. Calling skills yeah. are huge. I don't care whether you're uh, solo or you're a team setup. The great thing about being in a team setup is if you have a great caller is that caller can be back there and you don't have to worry so much about uh, an animal hanging up because uh, a good caller in the back that knows how to work it can steer that critter right by the shooter up there. And, and that's awesome. It's awesome when you can be up there and they have no clue where you're at, you yeah. know, um, knowing what to do when things get tight, that experience level. Oh yeah. When you have that. Yeah. I mean, that a la this year that happened to us on our, you know, seven minute standoff with that bull things got tight you know, but we knew if we were just patient and vigilant, I had Joe at my back. He's not only a caller, he's not only a caller and I shut up and didn't do anything. And that's, you know, we know that when Joe's calling it and we got a bull coming, we just need to be quiet and see what happens. But when that bull kind of hung up on us, we didn't, we didn't lose our composure. We didn't get, we didn't rush anything either, but it's me understanding that if I'm just patient enough, and I know as soon as that bull makes a decision, what's going to happen is Joe's going to do what Joe does and Gilbert's got to do what Gilbert's got to do. Right. And uh, it was so perfect. But again, it was because, you know, we knew when things got tight, we knew what each other was going to do, you know. And see, that and, comes uh, from that comes from that experience of of being solo and then sharing yeah. that and teaching that with other people. And yeah. Uh, that same thing that I said about steering, it gets yeah. easier in the group because my skill set as a solo hunter, I have to steer animals and I have to make sure that that bull that's coming into me never thinks that I am closer than what I am. I always project so that that animal thinks I'm farther than what I am. And we're going right. to talk about, you know, this is part one of this series. This is just part one. Uh, guys, we're going to go on from this, and we're going to talk about some other things. We're going to talk about having a plan for maximizing your hunting opportunities, what to do when you're successful, about providing a safety net. We're going to talk about the benefits and difficulties next week, and we're going to talk about hunting strategies and calling strategies. This might end up, because we're going into hunting strategies and calling strategies, this might be a three-part series, Gilbert, because we want to make sure that you know, here we're talking about, we're still throwing in kind of the group with the solo. And right. what we want to do is you guys that are going out solo or are going to use solo techniques or are going to be um, uh, with a group hunting on your own, we want to make sure that you have all of the skill sets that you need or the thought processes that you need to, for that to happen. That's our goal out of this series here. But we want you to also see at the same time that solo does not always mean by yourself full time, okay? Yeah. That is an option, but there are multiple options that you need these skill sets, okay? Uh, a solid solo hunter bud can be deadly Oof. because there's less of everything to go wrong. There's less scent. There's less sound. There's less movement. I just have to worry about me. I don't have to worry about 
God dang it, dude, get down, get down, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like, they're not Whoa. understanding my sign language. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Por que no? laughs> yeah. yeah, there's some things where you just go, oh, forget it, man. Uh, right. But yeah, it, you don't have to worry about that. But a team setup uh, can also be deadly. And the thing that I like about the team setup is for me, it's a shared experience, you know. Yeah, buddy. So nothing uh, like that. Yeah. And if you want the if you want the best of both worlds, yeah, you can do a group and you can hunt on your own. Um, but I tell you, there is nothing like and and it's just me. I like I said, I've had two experiences. I've been out there in the woods, sitting on the edge of that meadow, just taking it all in. But I don't. You know what? I'd have given anything to look over to you sitting on a tree over there, Gilbert, and give you a wink, man, and, and like check that out you know <laughs> yeah. yeah no doubt <laughs> yeah there's just something and i don't know if it's my age now uh i don't know if it's uh from what we've gone through and the friendships and everything it's just it's just where i'm at right now with that stuff yeah. okay yeah. um makes sense joe yeah yeah and you know and, and you will these guys that are doing this solo now they're going to evolve you know, they're going to evolve into what you and I have done or, you know, what me, you, Chab, and the boys have done. I mean, it's their hunting uh, prowess or career, if you want to mm -hmm. call it that, is going to evolve over time. Sure, sure. And the things that you're going to learn, you know, when, when I was out there on my solo hunt for that 10 days, some of the things and the experiences I most remember didn't even have anything to do with an with an elk. I had at that was the time when you could basically get a deer tag, elk tag, and a bear tag all at the same time, and you didn't hardly pay for anything. And mm -hmm. and I can tell you how much I learned from this trip. And I, and I and I'll give you an example of some of the things that I learned as a solo hunter on this trip. I loved first of all, I loved the fact that when I woke up and I, and I went out in the woods, I did not have to wake up from a camp. I could wake up from any place in the woods that I decided that I was going to bed down for that day. So I didn't have to be, uh, and this happened to me, I'd go out and I'd find the group. And I, when I backed off in the evening, I back off an area where I couldn't be scented. And I, I was able to hear them bugling all night so that I was on them at first light. So I was able just to go out and, and where, take my shell with me, basically. My camp yeah. was wherever I set my hat that night, right? Uh, and <laughs> I'll tell you one of the coolest experiences, because I told you we had a bear tag, right? So yeah. uh, I find this bull that as I come into this area, these bulls are cranking off. They're just going off all different directions. You know there's a hot cow. Anytime you hear multiple bulls screaming, that means that there's a bull with a hot cow. And it was that time of morning, it was just right at daylight, when one group had just left water, so some other group were going to come into the water. And I was on the water. Well, Oof. I see one bull coming over on the edge on one side and another bull coming on the edge on the other side. And I'm like, buddy, I've got a, I've got a waller in front of me. I've got this water hole in front of me at 35 yards i'm in high cotton i'm i'm right here with these jack pines oh about three foot high making a huge mistake but a mistake that ended up paying off for me over <laughs> a little bit because mm -hmm. i'm sitting here watching these bulls i'm in cover i got a big pine behind me and 
this one bull comes down off of this one side. The other one stays up to my left. And I call and I give a cow call back behind me. And this bull comes in. And when he comes in, there's a giant fir tree in front of me. And so when that bull gets behind there, I get it full draw because I know that booger is going to step out on the left side or on the right side, and I'm going to have a 15-yard shot, and I'm at full draw, and I'm at full draw, and I'm at full draw, and <laughs> I, it was like September, October, November, and I'm starting to shake, no step out, and I let down, and I'm like, where in the heck is this bull? So I'm figuring he has to be on the other side of that fur, and so I'm trying to figure out how I can get a shot, and and you know, it's one of those things where that patience thing, you know, that we yes. talk about. <laughs> Buddy, I got up and then I started to look and I started to look and I started. He vanished in thin doggone air. Where that bull went, never made a sound walking away mm -hmm. that I heard. And it, it was just amazed me that coming down like this, I don't know what caused him to stop and turn and walk away however he did i never saw him walk away uh, wow he, yeah never man so i'm still in here and this bull disappeared when i look and this other one cranks off up there to the left again and so i throw a cow call back off to my right he comes up to the edge and starts to come down to the water and all of a sudden he turns and he starts hauling butt and i'm like what is going on here right so as i'm sitting there and that I start hearing some rocks, and I look up, and coming over the rise is the biggest black bear I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> wow. Right? And this black bear comes down, and so everybody knows at this time, uh, my camo that I'm wearing is camo that I got from a yard sale. I probably, the most expensive thing I had with me was my bow at that time was a uh uh was a PSE Nova mm -hmm. and it cost $104 mm -hmm. and and uh I I probably had you know had a total between my bow and everything on me probably about 130 bucks of 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 gear man and yeah. but I had at a shoot I had I had one some of these Rocky Mountain newfangled broadheads. I mean, these were broadheads that I was buying WASP and satellites at the time. You could buy three broadheads for, I don't know, 12 bucks or something like that. Yeah. And these suckers were like, they were like 50 bucks for three. So, I mean, were man, they Thunderhead, was, Rocky Mountain Thunderhead 125s? They were not Thunderheads. These were the oh. original, this is in Rocky 1980 Mountain. something, Rocky Mountain broadhead. Oh, and cool. And they were a wide cutting, big, long broadhead. And I thought, you know what, as, as much as these broadheads cost, they got to be awesome. So I, I, put them on, <laughs> I put them on my on my arrow and had never, and Gilbert, you talk about this all the time, about you only shoot with your broadheads. Mm -hmm. Well, when you win three broadheads and... <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'll follow you, bud. Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to shoot with them, right? So, but well, I'm thinking, not man, if you value them, <laughs> yeah. And I'm figuring these guys are going to zero right in. They're going to. 
So I draw back, this bear comes down, goes to the water, is at 35 yards. I pull back, I'm instinctive, I look at my spot, I let fly, and I can see my arrow go, and it swirls just like this. It just planes yeah. and goes right over the shoulders of this bear and hits behind him. That bear hears that noise on the other side and turns and starts coming straight at me. <laughs> at a high rate of speed joe or just no walking? he is whoom, whoom, whoom. i oh, mean things wow. rolling from side to side lord right? have mercy coming straight at me i've got a little three foot jack pine here one here and one here i'm like right behind these little tiny pine trees that are wow. just growing out of the ground this bear comes to the pine tree in front of me gilbert i can see the hair coming out of the side of the nose. I can wow. see the whiskers that good. That bear comes in, and let me, this is my first encounter ever <laughs> in my life with a bear, right? Uh, you talked about some things coming out of the crack of your butt once. Yeah, buddy. Let me tell you, man, I sat there and I grabbed one of them arrows and I had it in my hand. And I said, if he comes through that tree, it's going to be me and him, man. We're yeah. going at it. <laughs> right. And I watched him turn and walk from that little pine onto the next one and go right by me to the side. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bye. It, <laughs> <laughs> Peace. I'm out. <laughs> I, I, I went back to camp, man. I took them freaking broadheads, put them on a rock, got me a big old rock, and I smashed them son of a guns. I was like, oh, these things I, ain't no good. I almost bought they the almost farm, buddy. Cost my life. Man. <laughs> oh man, dude. Yeah. So that was my first experience there, man. So <laughs> <laughs> that's that's hilarious. Yeah. I, you know, I, I guess my, I, I haven't had many first time solo hunts. There was a time that I hunted, uh, I was actually looking for a bull I'd, I'd wounded uh -huh. and, uh, I actually called some bulls in at the time. It was crazy. I must've saw 12 or 14 of the biggest bulls I've ever saw in my life. And the ranch I was hunting on had a, 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 a draw blood policy like most do. And, uh, that outfitter particularly would, his name was Carl Gamage, one of my best friends. Right. Uh, and he, he had a, he had a rule, you know, if you wounded a bull, you could go look for that bull and you could actually shoot that bull again if mm -hmm. you could find him. And, uh, so I did that all day, you know, stayed down in this bottom area and man, I'm telling you, it erupted with elk like you wouldn't believe. And I had some <laughs> of the biggest bulls I've ever seen in my life. Uh, you know, now I know what they really look like. And these bulls were all, you know, 350 plus bulls. I mean, they're gigantic. And I had two of them get in a fight right in front of me and fight into the deadfall that I was actually sitting in. And one's hoof actually grazed the front of my boot. And I almost, I, they almost stepped all over me, Joe. I've <laughs> never in my life. I, I had a walkie talkie at the yes, time. I was there. Actually, Actually, Joe was there and he yep. had a walkie talkie and I said, you guys ain't going to believe this. I said, but there's bulls everywhere. And I said, listen to this. And um, they could actually hear the fight in these bulls bugling. And uh, it was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life. I really got to understand how those bulls interacted because I was by myself. 
I got to call. I got to see a few of those things. Um, and the second time that I really was solo, Carl Gamage was such a cool dude uh, and such a giver. You know, he he got me to where I felt pretty confident with a diaphragm call. And he said, I had actually a client with me hunting with him with a muzzleloader. Mm-hmm. And he says, all right, big boy. He says, you know, he says, we're going to go out and you're going to be the junior guy this morning, you know? And so I felt really cool. You know, uh, I'm with a really good friend of mine, Steve Tucker, the big Canadian from, from Canada. And, uh, he's like, it's going to be on you. Cause I, you know, I didn't even bring my little pipe whistle that he brings. He said, it's going to be on you to call. So I'll never forget. We got in this one park, sat down, he said, all right, you're going to be the solo, you know, caller. And uh, I started cow calling, throwing cow calls behind us. Throwing cow- well, you know what, Joe, if you're throwing cow calls behind you, you better turn around and look. Because <laughs> I'm <laughs> telling you, that bull came on a string. I mean, right at us. And it, it wasn't maybe five minutes after my first calling session, right? And then I let out just a little, just a little bugle. And we thought we heard a Steve thought he heard a faint little bugle, right? And uh, he looked at me and he said, you hear anything? And I said, no, not yet. Well, I cow called one time and man, here he came. I mean, straight to us from behind us. And I could hear branches breaking and everything. I turned around and looked and there he came. And he walked right in front of Tucker. And (laughs) Tucker was set up to shoot in the wrong position. So he had to start moving into position to get a better shot with a muzzle loader. And man, that bull caught him moving. <laughs> and when he did, it was, he's held in that gun. And I mean, he held that gun for at least six, seven minutes and he got to shaking so bad. Finally, the little gust from the gods came and boom, that bull took off. But that's the first bull I ever called in in my life. And it was in the presence of Carl Gamage. And that was like, I could have been in the presence of Jesus, you know, at right, the time yeah. when I called yeah. that bull in. So yeah. it was fantastic. So look, I mean, you guys that are out there doing it on your own, just believe in what you're doing, you know, right. You guys have put the time in, you know, get the wind right, get in a scenario and get after it. Yeah, guys. And we're, we're going to, we're going to go now to our next part to our EBD series uh, uh, before we end here, but I want you to know that coming up next on, on this series, we're, we're going to get to the meat and potatoes of this. We're going to talk about having the plan. We're going to talk about hunt strategies. We're going to talk about calling strategies. Um, but as you can tell, man, we've already rocked through some time right now and, uh, we're going to go get to this EBD, uh, series, our elk behavior database tonight. And, uh, the focus of tonight's EBD are bull and cow vocalizations and some of the common mis- misconceptions, man. And and I'm going to cover this real quick, and um, we might even throw a little, few little calls out here in a second. But some of the biggest misconceptions are, first of all, cows don't bugle. People, most people don't know that cows do actually bugle. You bet. Yeah, there's not a single sound that a bull can make that a cow is not able to make. They all have the same abilities, right? Um, You'll hear in the summertime, I thought there were bulls bugling. I went over there, there was a bunch of cows. I was like, where in the heck is the bull? But it was the cow that was actually making that that noise, being real insistent about that. So that's just a misconception. And it goes, that one's not as important because we're not that big on finding a cow that's bugling. 
but it goes the other way, and that's that only cows mew, that only cows give a cow call, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a huge mistake because oh yeah, man, I heard many bulls bull mew. Yeah, they give that. I call it a bow call, a bull mm-hmm. cow call, right? Right. Uh, and it's that bull mew. And mm-hmm. what our listeners have to understand is bulls spend. The first part of their life with cows, man, their, their first communication that they learn is muse. That's that's mm. what they learn out there. And I've heard I've heard people and, and I hope you guys listen, because here's your nugget. All right. I've heard people say that in the early part of the rut in the pre rut, when they're bachelored up, it doesn't do any good to give cow calls. Well, it does do good <laughs> to give a bull mew. Mm-hmm. And one of the techniques that I use early on is when I'm working through areas that I think those bulls are, and I, I always start out, and it, and it sounds a little bit different. And I'm going to switch my microphone here. Sure. Uh, Gilbert, make sure you let me know whether or not things sound. Can you hear me good, bro? I can hear you loud and clear. Okay, cool. So when you make a cow call, when you make those cow calls they have a tendency to sound a little different when you just use in just your mouth than when you use your grunt too y'all let me get this one wet wet down here a little bit now listen you hear that little bit deeper sound you bit You can hear just a little bit different. When you use that grunt tube, it gives just that little bit of throaty, just that little bit of deeper tone. So my first thing when I go out in the morning, I like to get where I'm looking over and it's early, it's cool, and where that sound's gonna carry. And I'm just gonna go. That's it. And you'd be surprised. It's sometimes you get a return bugle back, depending on that time of year, but sometimes you get just that yeah, come back, right? Yeah. And many you times that, you get that yeah, come back. A lot of times that's a bull that's responding back to you. I had a hunt where I got out and first thing in the morning I came through, I did just that, and I actually got just that one yeah, that came back. So as soon as I got that, I'm cutting the distance, I get in and I get in and now I'm doing it behind me because I've cut the distance. Do the yep. same thing. Now I hear, right? You think it's cows. Five bulls show up. Five bulls show up and come in and they're playing. They're doing their thing. They're coming looking and to see if that's another bull to check them out, right? And I end up shooting this bull at 18 yards. I'll tell you the story. Sometimes it's the most hilarious thing. This bull goes Western in front of me doing a rodeo thing. Let's me draw on everything while he's getting all crazy. And when he stops, I I just, then I cow call and he stops broadside. It's over. But I I just want people to understand that, that that bow call can be very, very effective early on. Yeah, the bulls are not necessarily interested in other cows, but they are interested in other bulls. Okay. Oh yeah. All right. You bet. 
Um, the other thing is that a lot of people, another misconception is that the estrus buzz or the contact buzz only happens during the rut, okay? Uh, and, and that's not the case. That is a call that a cow elk can use all throughout the year. In fact, it's more of a, and, and when I talk about that contact buzz, that's that. You'll hear that contact buzz. Can you hear that, bro, over there? Absolutely. Yeah. You bet. And that's more of an insistent type call. It's um, it's kind of a listen to me. It's a selfish thing. And I call it a compound call because what they'll do is they'll use that with and follow it up with something like, listen to me. Here's my, like, if it's the rut, here's my sweet, come to me, right? Yeah. Or listen to me, where are you if I'm, if I'm trying to round up my, my herd again? Or listen to I've me. I've heard them do it to their calves. Exactly. You know, to, to their calves. They're yes. really insistent with it, you know. Yep. Like, hey, get your butt over here, you know. Where are you? Yeah, you they'll, they'll get that, yeah, yeah, where are you, yeah, you know. Exactly. They'll start. You'll get all those different sounds oh, yeah. like that. And they're just being insistent, okay? So that's something that I want you to realize is that there are some calls that are out there that are misconceived. Now, does that mean that it doesn't work as working in with the rut, with the breeding season? Heck no, it works great if you utilize it in the, in the right compound with right. the right sounds out there, okay? Um, <laughs> But the point that I that I want to get to too about that is that there are some calls, sounds that elk make that are only during the rut phase. Okay. Yeah. And and they're not necessarily uh they're not always just sounds that are, are bugles and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, the most effective, cheapest elk call that you can have is a stick that you rake a tree with it's true yep and no doubt. yeah that that rake seen it many times and bulls only rake for two reasons they do it in that pre-rut to get that velvet off yep. and they do it um later on when they're uh they're starting to get into that rut phase when they're starting to measure each other up show dominance uh, yep yeah because see bulls Bulls are setting a pecking order, and they're setting up they're setting a pecking order because they want to know who their competition is when these cows come in heat. Because when cows come in heat, they're not just bred by the herd bull. That those cows can be bred by four to six different bulls, man. So yeah. they need to know what order they are in the line. So when they hear another bull, or they hear a bull raking, or they hear a bow call, uh, they're going to go check this out because they want to know who's this competitors in the area, right? Yeah. yeah. And there's, uh, they're just kind of like that, that pal sense going on too, still at a lot of times they go from being buddy, buddy, right. To, huh, let's wrestle a little bit. Yeah. figure out out of the buddies let's spar going, a little bit yeah let's spar a little bit and figure this out to all of a sudden well we've been buddy buddy and now big old tom's hooking me in the rear end now yeah. you know we don't like one another at all 
<laughs> yeah, because yeah. things things get a little crazy there, right? Yeah. So uh, raking is one of those sounds. Uh, grunts, glunking, uh, yeah. groans, panting. These are and and if you haven't heard some of the some of that stuff, you know when when people talk about grunts, it's kind of it's really like it's just a little bit more of a chuckle, you know, mm-hmm. because. See, there's a lot of these sounds, Gilbert, that I used to always reproduce that I never had n- names for. And then you start mm-hmm. hearing people say, oh, that's a grunt. This is a chuckle. You know, mm-hmm. when you hear that, <laughs> they they that they kind of say that that's a chuckle, that, that monkey sound. And, right. and then when you get that. <laughs> that they say that that's the grunt, right? Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, and I've heard them that grunt. I've heard them just go. Ugh. Oh yeah, that's it. Just, I mean, they're so wore out. They've been bugling all night, and some of them just don't have much bugle left. It's just a. Ugh. And see, we kind of, and that you can actually classify down there is like a groan because they'll do that. Yeah. You know what? Yes. You know, you just get that out of them, right? Right. You know, and. uh they're just kind of groaning more. In fact, and you know, I've heard that Joe, I, I do that a lot of times when a elk's I've had one talking to me and uh-huh. then he goes silent. I've done that a couple of times that man, that'll fire him right back up. You're you know? exactly right, man. Absolutely. Yeah. You've hit the nail on the head. And the whole reason that, that I'm bringing up these sounds that are only made during the rut phase is because guys, everybody thinks that they have to challenge a bull. In order mm-hmm. to get that bull to come in, they know you there. When you start using grunts and glunking and groans and panting, those types of things, and and panting's kind of like, <sighs> when you start using that type of stuff, those sounds only happen during the rut, and those are sounds that generally associate with a bull that has a hot cow you bet. or. <laughs> right yeah because, or several bulls with high yeah cow. yeah because when they're doing that raking a lot of times they're doing that raking like we said early on to get rid of the velvet yeah. then they're doing it because they're they're trying to get themselves ready and they're doing a little sparring and they're measuring each other up and then it's displaying man the, they'll yeah. they'll go and tear one up you know in front mm-hmm. of the cows out there and display to everybody else their dominance right so those are sounds that to another bull, when they hear them uh, at every phase, it's attractive. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Y- when you hear them doing it uh, because they're trying to prepare for the rut, well, I'm going to go check this guy out because I want to see what my competition's like. You know, when he's displaying, that means he probably has a hot cow. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know, a lot of these bulls, when you cow call to them and they, they really come with a big bugle. When they really come with it, uh, they'll shut up and they, then they've heard you. And especially if you bugle once, they're like, mm-hmm. Oh, Whoa, man, there's another bull here. I'm not to be quiet. We, we were hunting in Colorado and I actually had a client with me and one of the guys that we were with, he just didn't call very much. And he he heard me call. He goes, man, you're really good. He goes, I said, well, do you mind if I call some? And he said, no, man, go right ahead. So that's right up my alley. Mm-hmm. So we we shut the vehicle off, I piled out, man. I said, hang on just a second. I'm going to hit my hit my bugle to see what happens. Woo! I just broadcasted a bugle, you know. And uh, 
I mean, right, right down in the winds, like 40 miles an hour, Joe, it's really gassing. And we hear the bugle right in front of us. And we're like, man, we're really close, you know? So we kind of ease on through the woods and we're looking, we're looking, we're looking, nothing. Shut up. I'm cow calling. He won't say a word. I'm like, man, doggone it. He's so immediately, bing, he's got cows, right? right? So he's not wanting to tell that other bull where he's at. So what well, I'm thinking, well, if I'm a bull, I'd get downwind and figure out where he's at because I could smell him then, right? Mm-hmm. So I told I told our guys, I said, man, we probably ought to drop on the downwind side and go right downwind to where we heard, thought it, we heard it coming from. So we just keep on easing on the same line, you know, kind of crosswind. Uh, we kind of just, we just, the, the whole thing kind of petered out and he said, well, let's go back to, to the vehicle and let's move down and call a little bit. Like I said, the, the wind was just really bad. Right. We get almost back to the, to the vehicle, right where I bugled. I said, hang on just a second. And I grabbed my grunt tube and I went like that. And man, I'm talking right freaking below us dude i'm talking right below us and he was there the whole time but we just walked right by him right and when i when i cow called he shut up you know or when i bugled he shut up because he did not want me around his cows big old five by five an old bull right right so we actually bail off and when we bail off we got the wind the whole nine yards we pop over this little ridge and there he is with 15 cows, man. He's standing right in the edge of an opening and he's looking for that bull, man. He's standing there and he's looking like I'm guarding my investment right here. This is mine. Ain't nobody else getting it. And so I learned so much about that little groan. That groan told me that, Hey, when they want to shut up, if you just a little bit, that'll get him fired up going, Hey, this is mine. You need to go on, you know, so that was so that, really cool, me learning. About and that's a good point because, uh, a, you know, a lot of people say that an elk does not like to come uphill or they don't want to come straight at you, okay? Mm-hmm. I tell you what, you start using these sounds that signify a right. bull with another cow or with a hot cow, um, those noises, you do the raking, you do the grunts, you do the glunking. And for those of you guys that haven't, uh, heard the glunking. I'll, I'll give that to you right now. I just uh, I just take my grunt tube. I I, I like to use a, a flexible grunt tube for uh, these reasons. And when you do it, you lock it underneath your arm. You don't want it loose. You want it locked. And then on this end, you can. Perfect. <laughs> and it's like that. It's not. It's not that kind. They change it up because they're walking, and it kind of depends on how they're walking. They'll they'll kind of get a little different breakup in the rhythm. Some of them a little quicker, some of them a little bit slower when they do that. If you just listen to a glunk, you'll kind of start to hear some of that pattern when they, when they do it, that. It took me that time that I had all them bulls around me. It sounded like somebody was driving a trailer down a rocky road right below me. And yeah. I'm like, what in the world? There are no roads where I'm at, right? <laughs> I'm thinking there, there's no way somebody's driving a trailer. I and mean, that's exactly what it sounded, sounded like that. And it sounded like you run a, a tin can together. And I'm like, what in the world is it? When he come walking by me at nine feet, 
when he came walking by me, he was doing it, and you could see his whole belly was quivering. Right. And he was doing that glunk at I'm like, oh my gosh, that's what that is, you know? Yeah. So it's just about guys getting out in the woods and experiencing these sounds and understanding what they are, and then you being able to produce them in the scenarios that will make you be will help you be successful. so that is that is what i want you guys to understand out there is that those noises the raking the grunts the glucking the groans the panting there's even some certain bugles that i'm going to talk about here in a second but those noises they're low audible noises so you guys that are hunting in areas that you say that you have issues with wolves these are the type of noises that you want to be using because you're not necessarily challenging the bull or him with his cows. You're saying that you are a bull with cows and that's way more attractive because that's going to bring in satellites. And it's also midday when a bull has bedded down his cows and he knows where they're at and he hears another bull with a hot cow he is coming because now he's got his ladies bedded. He's going to go breed another cow, and then he's going to come back. Or he's exactly. going to go get those cows from, from that other person. Monogamy and, does not exist in the and, and he that bull will come uphill and on a line to you. Uh, and if you don't believe me, ask Gilbert uh, <laughs> you know, about we his bull that came in this year. I mean, straight up the hill, straight on a line, and it wasn't about challenging him. It was about setting up a, ser- a scenario, given the storyline of another bull that had cows, a hot cow with him, and had no concern of him. He was just concerned with his tending his, his cow that he was going to breed, and that bull just could not take that, man. He, he just couldn't take it. He's heading up for that. Yeah, and y'all stay tuned because Joe's going to have some really cool footage of that pretty soon. I know Joe's been working with it. Joe's had a lot of other things going on, but I know he's got some really killer video from our hunt last year. That he's going to be able to set, share yeah, and, 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 and show that content. Cause that's, and I think it's going to come out of time when it's going to be a good time to excite people and stuff. And, and I guess the last uh, calls uh, the, the bull and cow vocalizations I want to tell you about are what uh, my niece would classify as the emo bugles. <laughs> the emo bugles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a counselor, man, and uh, Lene, that's Chav's daughter, you know. And, right. Yeah, uh, you, know, you talk about somebody that has issues, and and she refers to, yeah, he was all emo on me and <laughs> <laughs> emotional. I got you, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. he's all emo, man. Yeah. So, and and those are those. Uh, that's those lip balls and that roundup bugles and the challenge bugles. Okay. Right. Um, those are specific <clears throat> emotion type of uh, of calls that are they're going to emit emotion. Now, I keep having people that ask me, Joe, what do you mean by emotion to your call? All right. Here's what I mean. I'm going to, I'm going to give you an example of what I mean. Uh, Just listen to this. All right. Just a nice little bugle. Didn't sound too intimidating. More of a here I am. I'm calling. I, this is my location. But when you hear this, all 
when you hear that, that's what feeling. Yeah, you start that's to what feel. Juice. Yeah, you start to feel that emotion happening in there. Anytime you get that voice inflection, and my throat's a little raspy, so I'm having trouble getting that out right now. But that, you know, even on the end when they. When you get that, man, you know, that's not just. It's just not. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just that whole different feel to it. Just like right. you you were talking about the groan. Oh, it's deadly in the rut time of the year, man. Yeah. Especially when a bull wants to act like he ain't there or he came in and he shut up, you know. I mean, it's deadly. I, yeah. I have not yet been at, I've not yet used that at that time when I'm like, where is that sucker? And as soon as I do that, they light it up. Now they may be further away from me or whatever, but they light it right back up. Cause they like, man, I'm over here, bro. You know, <laughs> you're not getting to what I got. And I'm, you know, this is, this is my territory. And a lot of them will come in and check it out, you know, yeah. uh, but they're going to get vocal, you know? Yeah. And, and that's the thing is if you know where they're at, then you make a plan on getting there too. Right. And and that's one thing I want to tell you guys too is is that emotion you have to take a temperature of an animal. Do not up your emotion on an animal that has not gotten there. So right. you you know when you start doing things like a roundup bugle. That's it. That's all there is to it. Yeah. You know, and it's not a challenge bugle that's it's not that challenge it's not that scream right yeah. it's just more of a they they they're worried about another bull coming in on them so they're like ladies here we are we're getting out of here right yeah. and so uh, i i want you to think about those things in the vocalizations i want you to think about those things that are what we call the the emo bugles, man. Those yeah. lip balls, those roundup bugles, that challenge bugle, because they all have a meaning, and they all uh, will start to to lather up a bull, right? Oh man, yeah. I mean, that bull I ch called in for Chav that time. He started off just locating, right? And then I started off locating, and then as he got got closer and got in closer. He's really lathering that thing up. I mean, he's got all kinds of growls and chuckles in it, the whole nine yards. And as soon as he's sounding off, I'm stepping on him. And that just incenses a bull when you step on him, man. And if you can Im imitate what he's got going on, oh, my gosh. Exactly. Just, it freaks and, and him out. It, it is a great technique. But I want everybody to realize what Gilbert's talking about right now is engaging the bull. Right. When you start hearing a bull doing lip balls and raking and glunking it's yeah. about a bull that is displaying for a hot cow so he, he he's not necessarily engaging Would the you, bull right. he's acting he's turning his back to that bull and he's saying sure. you know forget you right? right okay so that's kind of where i wanted to go with that elk behavior database tonight gilbert solid content joe y'all got it straight from the bad Himself, right? <laughs> so you got it straight from the elk hunter's mouth. I'm telling you, that was so awesome. And that's the kind of content that's fixing to come up, guys. Listen, 
if y'all like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and review. You got to go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes to review us, and y'all can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. Always, always, listeners, if you guys would like your questions answered on our show, please send your questions to info at elkbros.com. We're getting more and more. And guys, we appreciate it. We read everyone. We answer everyone. Every one of them. I mean, we can't thank you guys enough. We're passionate about elk hunting. And you solo guys that are going to go out there, this, this, this content that you got tonight, just a little bit of that stuff that you're going to do during the rut is going to help y'all tremendously about being successful and being able to close the deal and have those bulls communicate and those cows communicate with you as we go forward. One thing, Gilbert, before you, you close out, just a reminder, if you have not gotten uh, a response from us, please check your spam because a lot of times our emails will end up in there, okay? There's still people in our elk camp that uh, haven't opened up our emails that we send every week, and I know that they probably have them in their spam, okay? No doubt. And uh, Joe, quick update on Chav? Uh, last chemo, bro, uh, on Monday. Uh, now it's all about getting through this last part of it and relearning to walk, man, and, and my brother's working hard. He's awesome. No doubt. A little update on my brother, Tony, got released from the hospital, is back awesome. home doing some occupational and, and, uh, and some, uh, some speech therapy and stuff like that. I'm actually at his camp. God awesome. bless him and his family. All the prayers and all the love have been felt. We thank y'all so much for everything that y'all do for us. We're glad to give back. Husbands, please kiss your wives. Wives, kiss your husbands. Hug your babies. Keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Honey. Peace, peace. Peace, brother. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.